Ayurveda, the ancient Indian science of herbal medicine, has the answers to many questions you have about your health. But sometimes it can be confusing to make sense of the doshas, the herbs, and the wellness practices. Welcome to the Mind, Body, and Beyond podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Searing. Joining us today is Renita Malhotra Hora, an Ayurveda educator, author, and podcaster who will break it all down for us. Renita, I think a lot of people think that Ayurveda sounds impossibly complicated. Can you help us walk through that misconception? Yes, absolutely. Um, This seems to be my mission, you know, of this lifetime. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for asking, Lisa. Ayurveda translates from Sanskrit as the science of life or the knowledge of life or, you know, something like that. And anything that is translated from Sanskrit, firstly, I should say the word translated is a misnomer. It's, it's more of an interpretation rather than a translation. Yeah. Uh, because Sanskrit is, everything that's written in Sanskrit is in verse form. So, you know, like the artist would interpret that verse. Now, when people talk specifically about Ayurveda, they will point to that and say, well, if that's the case, is it an art or is it a science? And it is a science. It's both, to be honest, <laughs> is, is how I would say. But it's very, very basic scientific. And if you look at the principles and understand them, you know, take that little bit or a lot of time to understand it. And it doesn't take a lot of time to understand the basic tenets or the basic principles of Ayurveda. But they make sense in the same way that physics, chemistry, and biology makes sense and is therefore taught at the sixth grade level. Traditionally, in South Asia, Ayurveda was also taught at, if not the sixth grade level formally, then in that time frame or in that phase of life. Because, yeah, yeah, it was an apprenticeship system. And that was, you know... If you were going to, in fact, practice it as a doctor, as a Ved, um, a traditional doctor, but for most of us, we just live it. We apply and use and imbibe and live by its basic principles every day with what we do, how we do, how we cook, how we eat, behavior, et cetera. I can go on. Science of life. So, um, you know, if you understand that, or if you understand some of that, it makes just basic common sense. It is common sense. And it is like anything, Lisa, it's not until you actually go into something that you begin to understand it. You know, knowledge is the most powerful of things. Everything in life seems scary or unfamiliar or foreign or, you know, whatever, uh, what have you if you don't know about it. But the moment you start learning about it and apply it and imbibe it, it just makes perfect sense. And it, it it's easy. You know, every time I go through a workshop where I'm teaching people or a person or many people, they come at it at the beginning of the workshop with the same question. Oh, it's very complicated. It's for South Asians. And, you know, how do I, and why do I, and at the end of it, it's like, well, we had no idea. It was so simple. <laughs> oh, I think for a lot of people, that first step might be to find out what their dosha is. 
Do you agree with me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, If not the first step, then definitely one of the early steps because it, Ayurveda really is, it's a very unique um, program. When I say that, I mean unique to you, me, the individual, right? There's no cookie cutter solution. There's no such thing as take aspirin for the masses, right? There are various illnesses, vikriti, um, or ill health issues, which are common to person A, B, or C, and therefore there is overlap. But even so, the treatment of person A should be tailored to that person because they are different from person B who is different from person C. So to your point, how do you even get, you know, how do you even get there? How do you even get to that? And the starting point really is understanding your dosha or dosha translates as your humor or your mind-body constitution, your prakriti, which is comprised from a series of three doshas, which are three combinations essentially of the five elements. So once you understand what your mind-body constitution is about, and what I mean by that, your prakriti, i.e. your natural state, all things being happy, healthy, normal, this is the perfect picture of my health, right? And then you under, then you can understand um, if, in fact, you are exhibiting or manifesting a vikriti. A vikriti, so many translations can just mean ill health. But before ill health, it's just a deviation from the norm. So if I'm feeling slightly sleepy today and this moment, that is not my perfect state of health. So that could be construed as vikriti. But it's not ill health, I'm just a little sleepy. Mm-hmm. But if I were constantly sleepy, I could be, it could be because I'm depressed or there are other things going on. So then that is ill health. That is an illness. Now we have just the one word, vikriti, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And so what we're really looking to do is if I could draw my line of equilibrium or draw my prakriti, which is the, the balance of my doshas, And when I say balance, I don't mean all of my doshas being equal, but the line of equilibrium, if I could draw them on a graph, that is what I look like and act like and feel like and behave like in a happy, healthy, normal state. But when there is a deviation from that line of equilibrium in any one or two or sometimes all three of the doshas, then that manifests as what we call vikriti. So, deviation from the norm, things going off balance all the way up to ill health, whatever Mm -hmm. that might be. Renita, I think a lot of people, if they want to find out their dosha, they will go online and fill out a questionnaire. I mean, that's probably not optimal, but is that okay? Oh, so hard to answer (laughs) that question. I mean, it's not not okay. It is okay, but to your point, to an extent, right? How okay is it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> a questionnaire is better than nothing, right? What is difficult is really how to write that questionnaire and then how to answer the questions. What do I mean by that? Is If I am trying to understand, uh, let's say, uh, are you affected by dryness? Okay, let's let's just keep it at 
English language terminology or English right. language right now. Are you affected by dryness? I'm going to ask you in a questionnaire things about perhaps you're, you know, do you have dry skin or do you have bone density issues or do you have um, digestive issues of dryness, meaning constipation due to lack of uh, moisture in your system as opposed to too much moisture, which sort of clogs the drain pipe, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. Or do you have dry hair, skin, nails, you know? These are questions that I might ask you in a questionnaire would perfectly reasonable, but you might look at the question and say, oh, well, I have dry hair. Okay. And then when I look at that, I'm thinking, well, what does she mean by that? Does she actually have dry hair? Is that the natural texture of her hair? Or is it because she has for the last 10, 15, 20 years had hair treatments and chemical treatments. And she uses a hair dryer every day, something that we all do. Yeah. It's perfectly normal, right? This is the way we live, but it tends to dry our hair out. That doesn't mean it was naturally like that or designed to be like that if all things were happy, healthy, normal. And if I didn't have a hair dryer in my life, like my great grandmother or whatever, right? Yeah. So this is what I mean by, Yes, the questionnaire is okay. It's a good starting point, but then how okay is it? Because people will blatantly answer the questions without thinking through things like this. This is an example, right? Right. And it becomes very difficult for anyone then to interpret how, how valid those answers are, how accurate the answers are. So in a best case scenario, I would say, try and seek out whatever you can. An Ayurvedic doctor, ideally, easier said than done, Renita. Yes, I know. <laughs> or an Ayurvedic guide, mentor, teacher, expert of some kind, just to help you through these questions. Um, remember, remember, an Ayurvedic doctor will do much, um, do a much deeper analysis than just questions. You know, they'll do pulse yeah. check, tongue check a blood check, depending upon the circumstances. An Ayurvedic mentor or teacher does not have the luxury uh, of doing any of those things. They're not a qualified doctor, mm -hmm. but they can help you interpret the questions in a deeper way, perhaps, than you would ordinarily just by going online. Yeah. But you know, the time that you're investing in it, it seems to really pay off. Absolutely. It, it, I totally agree with you. And this is the one area, the initial diagnosis, that time must be spent on. And I would really like to underscore that I used to work at California Pacific Medical Center for many years and um, other places as well. At the UC system, I used to teach workshops and things. When I did individual consultations in any of the formal centers, either medical centers, health spas, wellness centers, there was always a time constraint because it's an operational business at the end of the day and they're booking a time slot. And, you know, if you're going to see Lisa, it better be from one to two. So an hour appointment or an hour 45 appointment or, you know, that frankly, that's too much because they want to fit somebody else in, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I understand operational businesses, but the first time, especially that you are seeing a new client, you really don't know anything about them and you really need to get into the dosha analysis quite deeply. Well, I should say the questions in order to do the analysis, 
right? Mm-hmm. Because of these kinds of things, well, I will always do a very deep interview and then ask again, well, what do you mean by that? Well, what do you mean you have dry hair? Well, what do you mean you have stress? Is stress sleeping too much? Is stress sleeping too little? Is stress be having nervous anxiety? Is stress just being couch potato? It, the yep. words in English to me are limiting. And um, I always say that in my workshops, <laughs> that's good or bad. Um, but the thing is, you have to get deep, as deep as you can. So you have to allow the time for that uh, questionnaire consultation analysis. Yeah. Uh, one of the topics that are, is certainly on my mind right now, and I think a lot of people, is immunity. And what mm. can Ayurveda teach us about staying healthy and immune right now? Oh my gosh, so much and everything. <laughs> so when I was talking about Prakriti a little bit earlier, your natural state or that line of equilibrium, it is really critical to understand what that is because that is what defines your norm. And your norm, Lisa, is different from my norm. And my norm is different from the next person's norm, right? What I mean by that is once I understand what my norm is, I understand the various tendencies I have and the ill health issues I could be prone to. For example, you might be prone to dryness, using that example again. I might be prone to allergies. Does that mean I always have allergies or that you always dry? No, that's not what it means. It means what that's what you're prone to. The thing is, when your immunity goes down, when your immunity is low, you are going to experience dryness, whether that's dryness in the colon, dryness in the tissues, leading to sort of brittleness in the bones or the nails or the et cetera, right? Dryness in the mind, worry, anxiety, sleeplessness due to overthinking. These are all issues of dryness, just examples. When my immunity is low, I might experience allergies, whether that's allergies to pollen or the environment or something I eat or something I drink or um, just bad behavior, meaning being set off by the next person, being irritable, you know, that kind of thing. These things happen, tend to happen, will happen when immunity is low. So the definition of immune system working in perfect order is, again, it's ideal, but it's a little bit different for for anyone, right? Mm. Now, there are some things. So so what we're always looking to do, just in a natural and Ayurveda, is always balance our prakriti, our mind-body constitution, those doshas, so that I am I, I do not deviate from my norm. I, my vikriti is lined up with my prakriti. I have no discernible vikriti because that's how I keep immunity high, right? Now, in a situation like we're in today, where there's disease running around and I might catch things and COVID, and I mean, all of us are susceptible to that. Whether things like vaccinations aside and preventative measures, masks or not going out or, you know, whatever that might be, not being exposed to other people who might be carriers of the illness, um, a lot of it also depends upon the state of my own immunity. So if my own immunity is strong, i.e. if I have no discernible vikriti because I am constantly working towards balancing my doshas and staying, keeping my line of equilibrium where it should be, then chances are 
that if I do go out into a crowd or a rock concert or I'm ex- you know exposed to other people or whatever the case might be, there's less of a chance of me picking up the illness. Of course, nothing, I mean, <laughs> let's, you know, these are probabilities and these are, you know, nothing is a done deal, yeah. right? Anything could happen, but there's less of a chance, right? Um, and that's why immunity, obviously, in any health culture is so important, but the way we work towards immunity, our own immunity in Ayurveda is to really, as you said, step one, understand our doshas and step two, work to keep them in balance or at that line of equilibrium. Mm-hmm. Does that help? It does. That's very clear. One thing I've uh, also noticed when I'm out shopping, you know, you'll see Ayurvedic supplements or ingredients. You'll see a bottle of Haldi, turmeric, you'll see a bottle of ashwagandha, you'll see a bottle of Dulce. Um, Mm. Here in the West, we love to use one ingredient, you know, as kind of a magic bullet. Tell me about in Ayurveda, um, how do you feel about putting so much emphasis on one ingredient at a time? That is a great question. A great question. Um, Okay. There are a few different things I'd like to address, you know, as I answer that one is, you know, each ingredient has a specific property. So Tulsi is known to be sort of antibacterial, antiviral. It's kept in the center of the household or the courtyard to sort of ward off um, and, you know, uh, call it sort of bacteria and, and, and things that could bring ill health and illness. Tulsi is also digestive. Tulsi is also anti-inflammatory. So it has a few different uh, purposes. However, it's not a cure-all. It's not the only thing. And sometimes, oftentimes, when it is combined with something else, the efficacy is heightened. Okay. So simply speaking, Tulsi combined with ginger, Tulsi combined with turmeric, maybe good combinations. Just as in basic chemistry, you learn about, you know, this element and that element, and then you combine them, you get a compound, and the compound has a different characteristic to the basic elements that you combined in the first place. It's similar to that, right? Mm -hmm. However, there is the danger of mixing up so much that it becomes what we in Bombay would call bhelpuri, you know, mm-hmm. just everything in the kitchen sink. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because then it just takes on such a different nature that its net energetic effect has nothing to do with the qualities or could have, again, no blanket statements, but could have likely nothing to do with the basic qualities, basic healing qualities of all of those individual ingredients. Mm. Yeah. So there is a case for using one herb at a time if you are working towards a specific purpose. If it's inflammation, I want to use turmeric, but just that. Don't use it to cure everything, right? Then there is a case for understanding combinations, and I am usually in favor of a few ingredients com- you know, working together to f- form a combination, meaning not 20 ingredients at the same time, 
but a few of them so that the chemical nature is it's scientifically crafted of that end compound, right? Um, but be careful about sort of picking up, you know, a supplement which lists off 30 different ingredients because uh, that, A, it's processed. It's, you know, it's been chemically, well, you know, it's been created in whatever facility, I, whether it's a lab or whatever it might be, but that's not the way all of those individual ingredients existed in nature. So rule of thumb for me is always to go back and think of my great-grandmother or my great-grandfather and think about whether they would have cooked 30 of those ingredients at the same time. And the answer is probably no. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> in fact, the answer is definitely no. <laughs> so. Well, that said, um, is there one or two ingredients that you think are always going to be great to add to anybody's regimen? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> Not to put you on the spot. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, there are, there are a lot of ingredients that are sort of basic. Okay. So there's a whole category of ingredients or herbs. I always get confused as to whether to say herbs or herbs, mm -hmm. you know, the <laughs> America, non-America um, in Ayurveda, which are uh, come under the category of Rasayan. Rasayan are general tissue strengthening herbs or medicine. Yeah. So things like ashwagandha, things like shatavari, and you'll find these now today in Whole Foods and herb stores. And if not Whole Foods, then definitely herb stores, but I've seen them in the likes of the Whole Foods as well. Yeah. Um, these are, and shatavari, ginger, ashwagandha, tulsi, etc. These are Rasayan tissue strengtheners. So generally good for you. Now, tissue strengthening, again, is a very uh, generic way to say things. It's a generic term. But of course, they all have different properties, different tissues that they strengthen. But overall, anytime you come across uh, an Ayurvedic ingredient that is categorized as a Rasayan, you know that that's sort of a generally good thing to have, regardless of your dosha type or issue, it's, it's, it's going to strengthen. So can, can you take it long-term? Yes, absolutely. You can take it long-term. I have a very skeptical 20-year-old uh, son who asked me very recently, so he likes to work out and, you know, young men build muscle and all this kind of stuff. And I'm very, very concerned and skeptical of anything he puts inside his body. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and he asked me recently this, exactly what you just asked me, Lisa, he's like, what about ashwagandha? And of course his, his exposure to ashwagandha was not coming from me because I'm the mother. So I'm not <laughs> qualified to say anything about anything, Been there, but yeah. yeah, but it's coming from other people who are like, Oh, here's this great, you know, Indian and Ayurvedic thing. And so he asked suddenly, you know, starts asking me about ashwagandha. I was like, yes, you can have this. He's like, but can I have it long-term? And is there an overdose? And is there, you know, all of a sudden, and I mean, it, it gives me so much pleasure to, to sort of encourage him to sort of, you know, of course, I don't want him to just like have ashwagandha and nothing else, you know, just like replace his meals with ashwagandha. That's not the <laughs> intent, but 
you know, to be able to, with confidence, say to him that, yes, you can have this long term. Yes, you know, you don't have to worry about portion sizes and things a little bit here or there. It's absolutely fine because it's a resign herb. Okay, cool. Now, what's a good way to start your day using the principles of Ayurveda? Yeah, I think a great thing to do for anyone and everyone, just really, oh, well, there's a few different things. Okay, but something very basic is if you take a copper container, let's say a copper cup, if you will, real copper, and fill it with water and keep it on your bedside table overnight. And when you wake up, just drink that before you drink anything else. The reason is because overnight, the water will have, um, uh, what do you say, infused, imbibed some of the weak ions of the copper. So it basically becomes copper-infused water. And copper is a basic strengthener for your immunity, back to the subject of immunity. It's just very, very basic. So if on an empty stomach, you know, the recommendation is that you should start your day with a glass of water. And you can certainly put something like lemon in it if you like, but that copper infused water, that is a great way just to build up your immunity little by little every single day over the course of your life. Wow. And then, you know, you, you, you could do other things, infuse it with this, that, and the other, you know, depending upon, but that's just basic for everyone. How do you feel about caffeine? Um, so my take on Ayurveda, Lisa, is that you can have anything and do anything as long as you do it in moderation. I am not against caffeine. I love coffee. I love it. I love the smell of it. I love the taste of it. Does that mean I should drink like six cups a day? No. <laughs> does that mean I should have, enjoy my cup of, does that mean I should enjoy my cup of coffee every day? Yes. Um, and I do. And Ayurveda is not against coffee. It's not against alcohol. It's not against, you know, any of these things that, you know, um, have over the course of time been looked at and, you know, it's like, oh, they're bad. It's not that they're bad. It's that, you know, anything that you have, if you do not have in moderation is going to be bad for you. I always like to take the example of eating tomatoes. So many people love tomatoes, but then they are like, but I have... I'm allergic to tomato sauce and I just can't have it. It's the kind of thing where you just, you eat the tomatoes, you love the tomatoes, you have the tomato sauce, you keep having it, you keep having it. But there comes a time, you know, when your body can't take it anymore. And so then develops a reaction to that same tomato sauce. And that tells you that things are off whack or off balance, Vikrati, right? Mm -hmm. So it's again, it's not because you were born to be allergic to tomatoes, but it happened along the way somewhere. Uh, yeah, true. And it's a nightshade. So correct. That's correct. Possibly problematic for some people. Yeah. Too. Yeah. It happens with a lot of nightshades, which is, you know, uh, why I took that one for an example. It's so common. That's mm -hmm. maybe, maybe the most common one we see. Wow. Um, one last question. How does Ayurveda perceive cancer, diabetes, chronic illnesses? Yeah, that's a very wide question. So all of these kind of chronic 
illnesses have come out of basic vikriti. Okay, so it doesn't, your body just, when cancer um, is detected or has developed, it didn't happen overnight. It's a buildup and it goes unnoticed probably for days, weeks, months, sometimes years before it actually becomes a thing that you can point to and that is identified by a medical practitioner, right? Right. So Ayurveda will look at this early on. Again, your tendencies. Remember um, earlier on in the conversation, we spoke about tendencies, right? Understanding your doshas and and then understanding uh, the tendencies that you are prone to. Or I might have a tendency to have lumps under my skin, but that might be perfectly normal because perhaps I have a greater water earth element, what we call the kapha dosha. And so things tend to be lumpy or can get lumpy or lump up, but they're just lumps. They're just extra uh, fat, let's say, okay? Or extra sebaceous secretions, okay? Um, However, I might not have a tendency to have lumps, but I might have a tendency to have inflammation. So inflammation, okay, that can go up, that can go down. I can do things to control it, but it could be, you know, when it's caught in a lump, then it doesn't have anywhere to go in a sense. So then it could become, it could start um, changing course inside of that fatty lump. Okay. What I'm pointing to is a benign tumor versus a tumor that then becomes malignant or a malignant tumor. Mm -hmm. That still in and of itself might be okay because it's one malignant tumor, but then I might have a tendency, which is much more of the vata dosha to move. Move means movement and regeneration of cells. So regeneration of those lumps and those lumps with um, something inflamed inside of it. Once that happens, things spread. So if I look at cancer and I try and analyze it, and this is still a very generic kind of analysis, sure. but from an, you know, an Ayurvedic point of view, it's like, what is the dosha effect that's happening? Something that is, is just necessarily a lump or a beginning tumor, but could be perfectly harmless because that's water and earth element, kapha dosha. If there is something trapped inside of it that is in, you know, causes inflammation. That is an aspect of the pitta dosha, the the fire and water element combined, the pitta dosha. And then if it rapidly spreads, that is movement is a characteristic of the vata dosha, the air space element. So it's all three of those doshas at that point, working together to take these basic formations, if you will, and turn it into what would be a chronic illness, which is why once you find it as a chronic illness, in this case, cancer, at that point, your doctor will say, well, it's too late to apply Ayurvedic treatment now. It's something that you should have thought about before, but of course you didn't detect it then. So you weren't thinking about it. Right. Yeah. So, so to your question, can Ayurveda treat chronic illnesses? Absolutely. It can. But usually by the time an illness has been detected and defined as chronic, it's already so far gone that it may not be advisable because Ayurveda is a slow process and you would have to commit 
And there is up until today, nobody outside of India and very few people in India who will commit to go whole hog with Ayurvedic detox treatment for a chronic illness. Mm-hmm. So in the West or even in the East, to be honest, I would advise people to take, to use the principles of Ayurveda, understand them, to take a preventative uh, outlook to life. Do things, live your life, live in moderation, understand, to prevent Vikrati from happening and to prevent that Vikrati if it does happen, because it will happen. We are all a little bit off balance, whether we like it or not, Mm -hmm. right? But at least catch those imbalances and um, curb them from becoming illnesses and certainly chronic illnesses. Wow, Renita, you have given me so much to think about today and the listeners of Mind, Body and Beyond. We have a lot of research and work to do now, I see. And I can't wait wait to track down a copper cup too. That's going to be great. Well, thanks for talking. Absolutely. If I had a copper cup with me and I was with you and not Mm. on Zoom, I would just give it to you. (laughs) But yeah. Go ahead, please. No, I was just going to say, um, you know, Lisa, if nothing else, Ayurveda just gives you a little bit more to think about vis-a-vis your own mind, body, and your own health, so that the next time you do go to your doctor, whoever your doctor is, you're just equipped with better information about yourself mm-hmm. to talk with them about. Mm-hmm. Well said. All right. Well, take care, Renita. Thank you, Lisa. A pleasure to be on your show. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Mind, Body, and Beyond. I spoke to Renita Malhotra Hora, an Ayurveda educator, podcaster, and the author of four books on Ayurveda, including The Ayurvedic Diet. Check out her website, renita.com, to find out about her books on Ayurveda or to set up a consultation or workshop. Be sure to subscribe to Mind, Body, and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts. Visit mindbodybeyond.co to learn more. See you next time.